Well, this morning, uh, we're going to kind of wrap up our series entitled The Crushing. And we've been talking over the last three weeks about how God is the potter and how we are the clay. And if you're here today and you're born again, any born again people in the house today? Uh, any born again people watching online, why don't you put that in the chat box this morning? If you're born again, then guess what? You're not in the devil's hands, you're on the potter's wheel. And God is at work in your life and on your life to help you become who he has called you to be. We said really there are three types of crushing that happens. In the life of the unbeliever, in the life of the person that has never accepted Christ, there will ultimately be a crushing from sin, right? If you die, the Bible says, under the weight of your own sin, having rejected Jesus as a sacrifice for your sin, then there is a crushing that will come from sin, and you will literally spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And so if you're here today and maybe you recognize, Pastor Keith, I've never been born again. I've never accepted Christ. Maybe you're watching online. We're going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service today to just invite Jesus into your life and accept that gift because it is a gift. Can I get an amen from somebody? It is a gift. How many glad salvation is a gift that God gives us, amen, that is free because he already paid for it through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to make that gift available, right? I mean, that's better than anything else you get. That's better than two nights in Gatlinburg. Can I get an amen from somebody, right? Y'all go to those little places, we're going to give you two nights in Gatlinburg. Well, we're going to give you eternal life. How about that? Come on, somebody. That's as good as it gets. You're going to get to spend eternity in a place called heaven because somebody else paid a price for the penalty of your sin, and his name is Jesus. And today you're going to have an opportunity to do that because if you don't accept that sacrifice for your sin, then you're ultimately going to be crushed by the penalty and punishment of your sin, which will be eternity separated from God. But then we said there's also two types of crushing in the lives of a believer. Uh, the first type of crushing that comes in the life of the believer is when there is sin in the life of a believer. Now let me just give you a quick definition of sin. The word sin literally means to miss the mark or to come short of the glory of God. So sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is actually doing the wrong thing. So sin is not just doing the bad things of what we consider to be sin. Sin is actually missing the mark. It can be doing the wrong thing. Sin can be doing the wrong good thing when you were intended to do another thing. The Lord reminded me of something this morning. I heard a, a statement years ago, and it just kind of stuck with me. And the Lord said, Keith, won't it, wouldn't it be tragic for you to climb the ladder of success and get to the top and realize that your ladder was leaning on the wrong wall? <laughs> wouldn't it be horrible to climb the ladder of success and get to the top and realize your ladder's leaning on the wrong wall and you're leaning on this wall when God intended you to be on that wall? Wouldn't it be tragic to know that I spent my entire Christian life Building something I wasn't supposed to build, pursuing something I wasn't supposed to pursue, energizing something I wasn't supposed to energize, just simply because I missed the mark and failed to recognize that there is a purpose and a plan that comes from God that validates and affirms who I was created to be. And only when I live the life I was called to live do I fully experience the life God intended me to experience. So sin is not just doing the bad thing. Sin can be doing the wrong thing, even though it's a good thing. And so God loves us so much that when God sees something in your life that's keeping you from the thing he's purposed for your life, God will put pressure on it. And God, as the good potter, will begin to crush that thing in your life, and he will begin to work out of you that thing that doesn't belong into you. 
so he can perfect you to become who he's called you to be. The second type of crushing in the life of the believer is not the crushing that comes from sin, but the crushing that comes from righteousness. So the good news is simply this. No matter what you're doing, God's going to crush you. Amen? <laughs> God is committed to the process of you becoming who he's called you to be. So if you're not doing the wrong thing, that's a good thing. But God is also committed to not just working out the bad, but God is also committed to drawing out the good. God has put things in you that need to be drawn out of you. And how many of you can look at your Christian life and say, you know what? I have grown and I have changed and I have matured since the day I came to Christ. Can anybody say that today? Man, for all you that couldn't raise your hand, I'm really sorry for you this morning. You mean in all those years of serving Jesus, you ain't grown or changed at all? Anybody grown or changed since you came to Christ? Come on, I've seen you grow. I've seen you change. I've seen the transformation that's taken place in your life. That's a great thing. Amen? That's a glorious thing because that means God is drawing some things out of you that maybe last year you weren't walking in and now you're walking in. Last year you weren't experiencing it, but now you're experiencing it. Last year you weren't ministering it, but now you're ministering in a whole new way that you've never ministered before because you're growing and changing because God is crushing you, applying pressure to your life so he can draw out the good things that he has put into your life. Amen. Look at that first point on your outline today. So crushing is a method that God uses to mold, to mold us into his image where he beckons us to take on his likeness. God's hope is that the world would recognize his children by the way they reflect his character. So God uses the crushing. God, as the potter, begins to apply pressure to our life. Why? Because God wants to mold us and shape us into his image. Romans 8, 28 we all kind of know this verse. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let me just flip that verse for just a second. Because if you don't love God and you're not serving his purpose, then things don't work for your good. They actually work for your destruction. How many know the devil's trying to kill you? And if you don't love God and aren't working toward his purpose, everything doesn't work together for your good. It actually will work for your demise and your destruction. But if you love God and you're not in the devil's hands, you're on the potter's wheel. Come on, somebody. Then all things, the good things, the bad things, the joyful things, the sorrowful things. When people love you, it works for your good. And when people hate you, it works for your good. When people support you, it works for your good. When people oppose you, it works for your good. When the devil attacks you, it works for your good. And when God promotes you, it works for your good. Why? Because you're not in the devil's hands. You're on the potter's wheel. And you're in a place where you're in submission to the hand of the potter. And so all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But look at verse 29. I love this verse. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. That word predestined is literally a, a simple word. Sometimes it gets, it gets kind of made in this mysterious word. But it literally just means predetermined. God made a decision in advance. That everybody that would come to Christ, that it was God's plan, God's purpose, and God's will for that person's life, that they would be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. In other words, God decided in advance that everybody that would be saved would ultimately be transformed into the image of his son Jesus. So the goal of your Christian life is not only for you to become who God created you to be individually, but for you also in that process of individually becoming the unique person God made you to be, is that in that uniqueness you would declare the glory of who Jesus Christ is. 
How many know that you are all fearfully and wonderfully made? And that God has a unique purpose for every individual's life. God's purpose for my life is a little different than God's purpose for Ronald's life. It's a little different than God's purpose for Jeff's life. And Ronald and Jeff are amazing people, and they're unique, and they're special, and they have a plan, and there is a purpose, and there is a divine order that God has for their lives. And so God does not want me to be Ronald or Ronald to be Jeff. God wants each of us to be who he called us to be, but then God wants all of us in that unique expression of who we are to declare the glory of Jesus. So Jeff needs to be who Jeff needs to be, but he needs to look like Jesus. And Ronald needs to be who he needs to be, but he needs to look like Jesus. And I need to be who I need to be, but I need to look like Jesus. So part of the crushing is not only that we be transformed into who God wants us to be, but that we also would be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus so that you and I would begin to look more and more like him. The greatest testimony of your faith is that people would see you, and when they see you, they would see him. Come on, somebody. That's the greatest testimony of our faith is that my life would reflect his glory so that other people would see him. I was, I was, I was doing a little research and I was studying a, a silversmith. And this silversmith was talking about the refining process of silver. And how he puts it in the fire and he pulls it out of the fire. And he puts it in the fire and he pulls it out of the fire. And somebody asked this silversmith, well how do you know when it's been fully refined? He said, I know it's been fully refined when I pull it out of the fire and I can see my image. See, God wants to refine you. So that when people look at you, they see him. <laughs> so that when they look at your life, they see a reflection of Christ that declares the glory of who he is. And so God uses this crushing, God uses the potter's wheel to not only shape us to be who we're individually called to be, but to conform us into the image and likeness of his son Jesus so that we all declare the glory of the one who died for us. Amen? Look at that next point on your outline. God's crushing is an invitation. I love that word, invitation. God's crushing is an invitation for us to adorn the attributes of God, for us to observe what it really means to be a follower of Christ. What does it really mean to be a follower of Christ? See, it's challenging when we're reminded of the steep cost it takes to live for God, but God assures us and empowers us by turning our desires into His. The cost of being a disciple, I said it a while ago, salvation is free. But how many know discipleship is going to cost you everything? It's free to get to heaven, but getting heaven to you is going to cost you something. <laughs> salvation is free, but discipleship is going to require you to lay down your life. It's going to require you to die to the things of the old man so that you can be raised to life and become the new man that Jesus purchased you and I to be. And this crushing process where God is working out and God is drawing out what he's put in us is an invitation. It is an invitation, listen to me, to intimacy. See, God wants us to know him. One of the things I love about Christianity, we all know this, right? Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with God. And it is not just a relationship of casual acquaintance. It is an act of intimacy. God wants us to know him. And the process of this crushing, the process of the potter's hands being applied onto our life is that God is inviting us through that crushing process to know him, to follow him, 
See, following Jesus is not just about listening to what he says. It's not just about being mentored by his truth. It's not just studying his life. It literally means to follow him, to walk with him, to be intimate with him. Because the Bible says this. The Bible says as we behold him, we become like him. And then we are changed from glory to glory. The more clearly I see him, the more easily it is for me to reflect who I see to the world around me. See, just remember this. Your life is not intended to be a looking glass. It is intended to be a mirror that reflects the glory of the one that you are intimately engaged with. And the best way for me to reflect Christ is for me to be intimately engaged with Christ so that as I behold him, my life now reflects him so that people can see Jesus in my life. So it's this invitation to an intimate relationship with God. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 16. He said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to live with me. I want you to do life with me. This is an intimate thing. And in order to walk on God's path, I've got to die to my path. In order to walk in God's ways, I've got to die to the world's ways. In order to say yes to Jesus, I've got to be willing to say no to the thousand other things that want to rob my time, my energy, and my effort from knowing Him. Think about the fact that there is a crushing to our flesh that has to happen in this invitation to know Him. I'm amazed at how challenging it is to have a quiet time with Jesus. Have you been amazed by that? <laughs> Isn't it interesting? You can spend an hour scrolling through your phone with no interruptions. You try to find 30 minutes in the Word and prayer and all hell breaks loose. See, it's going to require a crushing of your flesh to answer the invitation of intimacy that simply says, I want to know you. I want to know you and I want to be known by you. And it's in that crushing process that I begin to die to myself, that I begin to take up my cross and I begin to follow him. It's in that crushing process of saying, before I look at my phone, I'm going to open the word. Before I talk to people, I'm going to talk to God. Before I pursue my path for the day, I'm going to pursue his plan for my heart. And that's a crushing. But it's an invitation because he's inviting us to deny yourself. He's inviting you to get out of bed just a little bit earlier to spend a little time with him. He's inviting you to lay some things aside so you can pick some things up that's going to nourish your soul and cultivate your heart to know him better. And when you think about the simplicity of intimacy, the more I know him, the more I reflect him. The more I know him, the more I reflect him. The more I know him, the more I reflect him. Think about that. The simplicity of intimacy. It's not rules and regulations. It's not a checklist of things that I have to do or need to do. It is a desire to know him that all of a sudden causes me to reflect him. And what's exciting about that is there is really, I want to use a little phrase here, there is really almost an effortless change. And it's not effortless in the sense that it's going to cost you everything. But it's the price that you pay for intimacy 
that produces the change that comes out of just simply knowing him. So I'm not paying to be changed. I'm just paying the price to know him. And when I know him, I am changed. And he does the work in me that I could never do in myself. And so the disciplines of intimacy are not what change me. It's the disciplines of intimacy that allows me to see him. And when I see him, I'm changed. So the transformation is the result of seeing him. But the discipline is the price I have to pay to spend time with him alone so I can be intimate enough to know him like I've never known him before. Amen? Let me give you another scripture. Psalms 37 is a great scripture. Verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Look at verse 4. We know this verse. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Let me give you two interpretations of that verse that I believe both are very accurate. The first interpretation of that verse is simply this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Let me just let me define what it means to delight. The word delight means to make yourself a delight. It doesn't mean that you enjoy Jesus. It means that Jesus enjoys you. Delight yourself in the Lord. Make yourself a delight. Well, how do I please God? Well, Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So how do I please God? I come to God in faith. Faith produces a submitted life that says, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. Not my path, God, but your path. That's faith. How many know faith submits to the will of God? Faith agrees with God and submits to his will so he can have his way in our lives. So delight yourself in the Lord means to make yourself a delight where God takes pleasure in how you're living your life. God takes pleasure in your faithful submission to his mighty plan as he begins to crush you, reshape you, reform you, refashion you, and draw out of you those things. It is your faithful submission to the hand of the potter that pleases him. So delight yourself in the Lord. Make yourself a delight to God. And he will give you the desires of your heart. And I'm just going to tell you something. I have seen it over and over again. I can't tell you how many times God has given us our heart's desire. Man, we've seen our kids saved. We've seen our daughters marry some amazing, awesome men. And if you've got kids getting married, you know how important that is. Answered prayer. We've seen this church grow from three people, three couples in our living room, to campuses, planting campuses, reaching nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've seen souls saved and lives changed and families restored and people delivered and people set free. We've seen God continue to birth and do amazing things and each of you literally or an answer to my heart's desire as we pray for God to multiply the works of our hands and the fruits of our labors that we can equip and empower people to do what he's called them to do. And we've seen God give us our heart's desire over and over and over again. And it is amazing. And that happens on the potter's wheel. When you delight yourself in the Lord, 
when you submit by faith to the hand of the potter to shape you, all of a sudden God gives you the desires of your heart. The reward of your faithful obedience is the fulfillment of your heart's desire in your life. But there's another interpretation of that scripture I want to give you that I've seen to be also equally true. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, not only will God give us our heart's desires, but God will give us his desires in our hearts. God will give us his desire. The desires of our hearts will actually come from him. And I've seen this happen over and over again. As a matter of fact, when I was 19 years old, God wrecked me with this reality. When I was 18 years old, I was graduating high school. I was getting ready to get married. I had a, I'd been accepted to Jacksonville High School where I was going to go get a criminology degree because my desire was to be a detective. <laughs> Anybody say CSI? Don't y'all love that show? <laughs> Anybody remember Remington Steel? Some of you older folks, right? I mean, all you young folks remember that. You babies, I don't know what's wrong with y'all. Remington still suave, cool, debonair, man, that's who I wanted to be. See, I had this desire when I was a kid. I remember, I remember this. I, I don't ever remember a time in my life that I did not have a desire to help people. As a little kid, I always cheered for the underdogs. I always wanted to help people. And my desire to help people as I grew up, unsubmitted to the Father's hand, even though I was saved when I was 15 years old, my desire to help people became fleshed out in this desire to become a detective and be a Remington Steel and I'll save the day. And that'll be cool. But at 19 years old, I submitted to the hand of the Father. Now, for the first time in my Christian life at 19, I went to God and I said, Lord, I don't want to be what I want to be. I want to be what you've called me to be. And I began to submit to the potter's hands. And he began to shape me and he began to deal with me and he began to work in me. And before I knew it, God gave me a desire that was totally foreign to me. At 18, I had no desire to preach, teach, study, lead, any of that stuff. At 19, when I submitted my life to the potter's hands... All of a sudden, I delighted myself in the Lord, and he gave me a desire in my heart. And it was a desire to preach and teach the word. It was a desire to shepherd people and help people and lead people into the truth and the freedom that Jesus Christ brings. And that desire consumed me. I'm just going to be honest with you. Many of you have heard me share early on in those stages, I'd be mowing the grass and God's word burnt in me so hard, I'd be preaching the gospel hoping the grass would get saved. I mean, I'm screaming and yelling out there. I'm sure anybody driving by thought, that's one crazy man. But the word of God and the desire to preach and teach and minister, which was totally opposite to anything in that moment that I'd ever desired before. And this is what I recognize. The desire that God had gave me as a child to help people had been wrongly channeled through my flesh and I'd lean my ladder on a wall called let's grow up and be a detective but when I submitted my life to the potter's hands God took that same desire to help people and he rechanneled it with his desire and he leaned my ladder up on another wall called pastoral ministry and I can tell you for the last nearly 30 years of my life 
I have been consumed by God's desire. And it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. The greatest thing. Now, the good news is, some of you are already getting nervous thinking, oh my gosh, if I do what Pastor Keith's talking about, I'm going to have to preach the gospel. Probably not. Maybe so, but probably not. But this is what I do know. I do know that the greatest thing that can ever happen is that when you begin to say yes to the shaping of the potter's hands, God will not only give you your heart's desires, but God will give you his desire in your heart. And it will be the greatest thing you'll ever discover in your life. And this is what I recognized at 19 years old. I would have never discovered God's desire for my heart if I had not first submitted to the potter's hands. It was that shaping of my life as a young man, and he continues to shape me, by the way, that changed the trajectory of my life and for the last 30 years, I've been able to climb a ladder, I believe, leaning on the right wall God intended for me. Knowing with joy and passion every day, I get to do the thing God's called me to do. Now, for you, that may be building a business. For you, that may be a stay-at-home mom. For you, that may, be, that may be, I don't know what it might be. It can be a million thousand different things. But here's what I know to be true. If you'll let God give you your heart's desire, and you'll let God put his desires in your heart. You'll never lack for passion. You'll never lack for zeal. And you can get up every day and give your all to the thing that God has called you to do. There are seasons and there are phases and there are times. And every season is unique. But I believe that in every season of our life, there is an opportunity for that fullness to be revealed in us. Amen? And it's a beautiful thing. Thank y'all for letting me reminisce a little bit with y'all. Amen? Look at that next point on your outline. One of God's desires, one desire that God has for all of us is to share together, uh, for us to share together, is the elimination of things that are holding us back. Listen to me today. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. There has to be an elimination for there to be an elevation. New wine only gets poured in new wineskins. You have to first be reshaped in order to be refilled with new wine. There has to be an elimination of an old for there to be an elevation to the new. Real freedom happens when we remove the things that we have put in God's rightful place and God says in order to find true life, we must be willing to lose the life, the habits, the patterns, the sins that we have grown comfortable with. Remember, sin is not just doing the bad thing. Sin is sometimes doing the wrong thing that God has not intended for your life. I love Philippians 3, verse 7 through 12. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What's he talking about what was valuable? He's talking about literally his entire life, his physical birth, he was born physically in the right tribe at the right place to the right people. His social status, his religious status. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, knew the law forward and backwards. He was, according to the law, his own confession, faultless. And he had this amazing pedigree, this spiritual pedigree. But all of a sudden, when Paul came to Christ, he realized something. He realized that the things that were once valuable, he now says, have become garbage and rubbish to me. 
How many of you remember when you were 20 and what you thought was valuable in your 30s, you thought, maybe that ain't so valuable anymore? <laughs> and then in your 40s, you thought, well, maybe that really wasn't valuable at all. And in your 50s, you thought, man, what was I even doing thinking about chasing all those things? And when you get 60 years old, you're like, oh my gosh, I must have been crazy. Because what happens with this little thing called maturity? With maturity, every season brings you to a new level where you begin to understand that what was valuable then may not be valuable now. And it's not that it was bad. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't the whole picture of what God wanted to do. And so we embrace the seasons that we're in, but we also recognize that every season has a beginning and has an end. And in order for you to continue to be what God's called you to be, you've got to continue to grow to new seasons in your life. And Paul said, you know what? I'm looking at my life now. Since I've come to Christ, I realize all those things that I labored for and pursued and chased after really weren't that valuable after all. Maybe it wasn't as important as I thought it was in light of who Christ is now calling me to be. Listen to what he says. He goes on in verse 8. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count myself, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul said, I'm recognizing that in every season of my life, some things that I thought were valuable are not so valuable anymore. And I'm willing to lay aside everything in order that I can become the one thing that God has called me to be. That's powerful. It's embracing that process that there has to be an elimination for there to be an elevation for me to continue to grow and go to the next level. You've got to let go of some good things. To embrace the God things that he has for you. Amen? Y'all still with me this morning? Look at that next point. When we choose faith and allow God to cut away the dead things that don't belong, we come back to life. How many know there's resurrection life in Christ? Amen? And in order for God to transform us into something new, something old has to die. Just as light and darkness can never mix, neither can life and death coexist together. John chapter 15, verse 2. I want to read a verse to you. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, the Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. I am the vine, and you are the branches. How many you know the vine is the source of life, but it is the branch that bears the fruit? The vine, Jesus said, I'm the vine, and I'm the source of life. Every good thing comes from me, but you're the branches, and you're what bears fruit. Let me just say this to you today. If somebody's going to see Jesus, they're going to have to see Jesus through you. You are the branch that bears the fruit of Christ. You are the branch that produces the life of God into the hearts and lives of other people. Then look what he says in verse 2. This is a great scripture. He says, and he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. Have you noticed something? God is interested in fruit. It's good to be faithful, but let's be fruitful. Come on, somebody. It's good to be faithful, but let's be fruitful. You really can't be fruitful unless you're faithful, but let's not just stop at being faithful. 
Let's be fruitful vines that bear fruit for the glory of God. So Jesus says something. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he says, every branch of me, look what he says. I want to read it again. He says, in God the Father cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. That little phrase, cut off, is a horrible translation. Because it literally doesn't mean cut off. Because to a vine dresser, the branch is valuable. The word cut off literally in the Greek means to lift up. And it's actually a, a gardening verse. It's a gardening phrase used in growing grapevines. And this is what happens when a vineyard has, when a vine owner, when a gardener has a grapevine or a branch that stops producing fruit. This is what happens when the branch gets on the ground and begins to grow in the dust and the dirt. The moment that branch gets covered in the dust and the dirt of the earth, guess what happens? It becomes unfruitful. It stops producing fruit. But the gardener, the vine dresser, values the branch because it's the branch that bears the fruit that allows the vine to give forth life. So you know what the vine dresser does? He doesn't cut it off. He kneels down and he picks it up and he begins to wash the dirt and the dust off the branches. How many of you are glad? Let's just be honest. All of us in this room have had fruitful seasons where I mean you're like producing fruit for Jesus like a crazy man. And then we've all had barren seasons. We've all had seasons where we are fruitful vines, and we've all had seasons where we've been barren branches. And aren't you glad that when you're barren and broken, God doesn't cut you off? He doesn't cut you off. He cuts off the things that hinder your growth, but he doesn't cut you off. As a vine dresser, he reaches down picks you up, begins to wash you by the water of the word. It may be painful. It may be challenging. It may be difficult. But God will begin to pour the washing of the water of the word over you. And then guess what he does? He lifts that branch up and he literally ties it off to another branch that is bearing fruit. And this is significant. Let me tell you why this is significant. Because this is why you being connected to the body of Christ is so important. Because if you become barren and dusty, and we've all been there and done that and got the t-shirt, right? If you become barren and dusty by the dust and dirt of this world, God will reach down with his loving kindness and he'll lift you up out of the dirt and the muck and the mire of this world. He'll begin to wash you clean by the water of the word. And then when he gets ready to tie you to another branch, if you're not connected to the church, who's he going to tie you to? See, I'm convinced the reason that many Christians stay barren longer than they should is because they're not connected to the body of Christ. How many of you understand that the best way to bear fruit is to get around somebody that is? You ever get around somebody that's got a passion for souls? I mean, they're like crazy wanting to win people for Jesus. You know what will happen? It won't take about three days and you'll be thinking, man, I need to reach somebody for the Lord. You get around somebody that's passionate about prayer, and you know what will happen. You'll hang out with them for a couple days, and before you know it, you're like, man, my prayer life, it really stinks. i got to step it up. You get around somebody that loves the Word of God, and they study the Scripture all the time. You hang out with them a couple days, you know what will happen. You'll start cultivating a hunger for the Word, and you'll start getting in the Bible. Why? Because association produces transformation. And if you're not rightly connected to the body of Christ, when he dusts you off and washes you clean, there's nobody to tie you to. 
And that's why it is so important that the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves. And even more so, as you see the day of the Lord approaching. We need each other. Amen? Look at that last point. God literally says, choose life or choose hell. It is life and death. It is heaven and hell. It really is that clear. We get to choose. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. You can live your life in the devil's hands. will ultimately send you to hell. Or you can live your life on the potter's wheel that will ultimately take you to heaven. But you have to choose you this day whom you will serve. But let's talk about that crushing a minute. Crushing at times may feel like hell. <laughs> I've been through some seasons in my life where everything went wrong. And nothing went right. And it seemed like all the people that supported me were now against me. You ever been there done that? <laughs> you ever had those seasons where it seems like literally all hell is broken loose. And there's no cheerleaders. And there's no encouragers. And there's no support. And there's no help. And it goes from bad to worse and worse to worse. And you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? <laughs> well, the good news is if you're born again, you're not in the devil's hands. You're on the potter's wheel. And the good news about the crushing is even when it feels like hell, it's the crushing that brings heaven to earth. It's the crushing that draws out of you the very thing that God has put in you. As a matter of fact, being crushed is evidence that you and I are a masterpiece in the making. It declares that God is still working on me and he's still working on you. It means I am God's very own possession. And when I am crushed, it proves that I am a child of God. The Bible says God disciplines all of those who are his kids. And if you do not receive the discipline of the Lord, the Bible says, then you are not a child of God. See, it's that crushing that God is working out and God is drawing out of me what he wants me to be is evidence that I am his child. I'm on the potter's wheel. And all of a sudden, even in the pain of the crushing, there is the hope of the transformation and resurrection that God is making me who he's called me to be. And God never crushes you to destroy you. God crushes you to shape you so you can receive more than you've ever received before. Amen? Let's just bow our heads today. I want to challenge you this morning. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. I realize that's many and most of us here today. And maybe you're going through a crushing right now. Maybe God's drawing some things out of you. Maybe God's working some things out of you. Delight yourself in the Lord this morning. Stay in a place of faith and submission to what God is doing in your life. Rebuke the devil. Resist the temptations. Fight the good fight of faith. But stay in a place of faith and a place of submission to the hand of God and refuse, refuse to stiffen your heart to God's hand. Because he's got new wine, new seasons, new levels and new opportunities for your life. And he's shaping you. And even though it might feel painful, it's beneficial for the work that God wants to do in your life. Don't be marred in the potter's hands. Be submitted to what God is saying and doing.
The second thing I want to do is maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I've never been born again. I'm not a Christian. And maybe you realize for the first time in your life you're not on the potter's wheel. Maybe you're in the devil's hands this morning and you realize that. You've never been saved. You've never given Jesus lordship, which literally means ownership over your life. But today is your day. And you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to be saved. I want to choose life, not death. I want to choose heaven, not hell. I want to choose to follow Jesus and no longer follow my own path. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life If that's you this morning, whether in person or online, I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith that says, today I want to be born again. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji or you could type in that comment box, I'm raising my hand. But this is your moment this morning. Today, I want to be born again. And I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. We want to partner with you in prayer today and we want to introduce you to the one that will change your life forever. So let's just bow our heads. Every head's bowed. Let's just pray this prayer together. If you would, everybody in the room, let's pray it together out loud. If you're watching online and you raised your hand, this is for you right now. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. Well, God bless you today. We love you guys. Thank you for everything. As we close today, real quick, ladies. How many of you ladies got to come out yesterday? to our ladies conference awesome awesome we love y'all hope you had a great time have a blessed day in the lord and you are dismissed